Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike, preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law and & Crime bring you the new podcast, The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie, which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. NISRA, the Northern Ireland Statistics and Research Agency, has published more figures from the 2021 census. We love polls, numbers and census results here, so we thought we'd take a dive into the latest batch of stats. They cover sexuality, employment, immigration, language and more. So joining me in the studio, I have Andrew Madden and Neve Campbell, who have been looking at all of these new figures. So the Northern Ireland Census and Research Agency has published what's now the fourth set of results um, from 2021. And there's a lot of very interesting statistics in it. Um, I have always struggled with that word, so perhaps I've chosen the wrong podcast for this morning. Let's start with sexuality. The number of people identifying as LGB plus is lower in Northern Ireland than the rest of the UK. Anyone like to present the figures on that one? Uh, yeah. So the latest results show that uh, 2.1% of people aged uh, over 16 in Northern Ireland identify as lesbian, gay, or bisexual, or other. Um, now that represents about 31,600 people. And this is uh, the lowest percentage of people who identify as LGB plus um, in the UK. It compares with 3% in Wales and 3.2% in England. Neve, I'm putting you on the spot here, but, but can you offer any explanation for that? Well, like, I think the, the number one thing is that we are far more sparsely populated maybe than the rest of the UK. It's also interesting that we are the lowest in the UK, but this is also the first time this question has ever been asked on the census. Mm. I personally think it would be really interesting to compare that with um, 10 years ago, but definitely, you know, 50 years ago, I'd say in 1971, yeah, people have always existed, but their openness in being gay has not always existed. And we've gotten to a point in society now where it is uh, far more welcomed, obviously not across all of society, but gay people, um, people from the LGBTQ plus community feel a lot more comfortable now. Hopefully they do anyway, in expressing that 
that's what they actually are. Um, and, it's, that is, and certainly there there seems to be 4.6% of people aged 16 to 24 identifying mm-hmm. uh, yeah. uh, 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 as LGB+. But that falls to 0.3% of all residents aged 65 and over. Now that's, that's an incredible difference yeah. there. Yeah. And this is a census. This is a secret census here. Yeah, But I think it kind of maybe falls down to, I mean, Northern Ireland historically was a lot much more parochial kind of society, uh, religious society. Now it's become more secular. So that doesn't necessarily mean that the amount there isn't a higher amount of older people who actually are LGBT plus they just maybe aren't out or never came out or they're not maybe comfortable calling themselves that uh, for various reasons. And you also have to look as well there at the figures that eight um, percent of uh, the people who took part in the census didn't uh, either didn't answer the question or they prefer not to say. So there's a, probably is a significant amount of underreporting. I know, having having done podcasts on gay issues already, people talked about this process of coming out. Are you still coming out if you're taking a box on a census? Yeah, well, as you say, the census is a private thing, and coming out just by definition will be more public. But that stat, that stat, you know, eight percent. Mm-hmm didn't answer the question or prefer not to say that, I find that very interesting too. I think, and I am i don't identify as part of the LGBTQ plus community. Um, I have many friends that do, but one thing that a few of them have said to me, even when they were younger, um, they're nearly, even though it is private, they're nearly like hiding it from themselves or they kind of like don't want to go like even think about that. So maybe people are just, especially maybe the older community here are just saying, no, I don't even want to, you know, mess about with that or whatever. I'm just going to tick, tick prefer not to say. I don't, I don't want to think about it. I really can't speak for them, but I just know um, sometimes it can be even hard to deal with mentally themselves as well because of like just societal pressures and views. You would know the Mid-Ulster area quite well. And I understand from the stats, it's just 1.1% of people in Mid-Ulster have identified as LGB+. Uh, that compares to 4.1% of people in Belfast. Do you want to have a punt at that? I think a big thing is cities tend to be a lot more, um, I don't know if open is the right word, but a lot more... Cities are far more populated. Middlesbrough would be quite a rural area. I mean, like Tyrone, where I'm from, is geographically the largest county, I think, in Northern Ireland. But it's very actually sparsely populated for being so so big geographically. Um, so I think a lot of people in the gay community, once they reach a certain age, obviously a lot of people come to Belfast for uni and tech and work and things like that. So I think people from the gay community want to move to the city because they feel like they can be themselves more openly here. I say here because we're recording in Belfast now. Um, And I think you would probably find that throughout the UK and in Dublin as well. I mean, uh, I know that there actually is like a gay pride parade in in Mid-Ulster now. That's relatively new compared to in the cities. But I think if you went like London, Dublin, Belfast, um, Cardiff, Glasgow, all the big cities, if you looked at their census results, they would probably have the most populated um, areas for people from the gay community. Let's move on to relationships. Is marriage tanking over the last six censuses here? We have seen a fall in the percentage of adults who say they are married down from 61% to 46% in the last 50 years. That's quite a drop. Um, There have also been a rise in single people, meaning those who have never been married or are civil partnered. And that's up from 31% in 1971 to 38% of people in 2021. Are we just going off marriage, Andrew, or does it just cost too much? 
Well, probably a bit of both, but I think especially in Northern Ireland, um, it would have been seen, you know, talking 30, 50 years ago as the kind of thing to do. And once you reach a certain age, if you weren't married, you're almost kind of looked down on. But um, definitely in recent years and decades that uh, it's become just much more common for people not to get married. People might just be partners, might live their whole lives together, but just feel there's never any need to get married. Um, or they might not be particularly religious and don't see the need to have, you know, um, ceremony in a church or whatnot. Um but yeah, but this this trend's been going on. I think it'll be the same across most of the Western world, really. It's just become a thing that's not maybe seen as compulsory for people in a relationship. Um, but yeah, you can see that, that trend's going to continue. Yeah. And Neve, divorce is a, is a thing now. I mean, it's always been a thing, but there's an awful lot more people divorced now than there was 50 years ago. Yeah, so in 1971, uh, the census results then revealed that 3,000 people approximately were getting divorced and that's to over 90,000 in 2021. So that is a seriously, um, probably maybe the biggest increase in, in the census results that I was looking at. And one thing I think, kind of like Andrew was saying, I think a lot of people got married at a younger age 50 years ago mm-hmm. um, and like I was talking to Paul McLaughlin, who is the Director of Development at the Northern Ireland Mixed Marriage Association, and he wrote a common piece in the Belfast Telegraph about that this week. Um, and he was saying a lot of people were under a lot more pressure, whether you were Catholic or Protestant, to get married and to get married in a church. Didn't matter what church it was, as long as it was a church, uh, 50 years ago. Um, you know, maybe you'll be finding that a lot of those people now are getting divorced. Um, I don't actually know the results in terms of the age of people getting divorced. But one thing he said as well was that we're sort of living in a more secular society in terms of everything's like instant gratification now. Life's a lot more sped up. And he, he thinks it's just a lot easier to get rid of a spouse now than it maybe was uh, 30 to 50 years ago. Uh, and he believes that a lot of people maybe aren't talking about marriage and and the important things before they're getting married and it's just all about the romance and infatuation and then whenever they actually realise that uh, it's not a bed of roses <laughs> they just throw it away. Well marriage of course is more than a religious I mean for Catholics for example yeah. it's a sacrament but mm-hmm. for exactly. it's, it's, it's an illegal institution uh-huh. which has been around for a very very long time in, yeah. in various um, guises uh, there's a percentage of adults who are separated widow or divorced I kind of find it strange that those are included together but okay <laughs> has almost doubled from 9 from 9% to 16% in the in the last 10 years um, also this is a stat I found ex- really interesting just over half of house residents just under 800,000 lived as part of a couple within the same household and that can be any kind of couple but the remaining almost 700,000 or 47% do not live as a couple within the same household and I suppose I did not imagine the number of people who didn't live as a couple would be so high. Yeah, definitely. I suppose like maybe it goes back to what you were saying in terms of you're talking about finances and things like that there. Or maybe it's, as I say, people maybe just feel more comfortable being in a couple but not living together for a variety of reasons. But it is an interesting stat and I would love to see exactly what's behind that, to be honest. I think as well, there's a lot of people too, a lot of people like, it seems more normalised to live with your friends, whereas I don't think yeah, that yeah. would have been a thing many years ago. And like traditionally, you know, <laughs> women or mothers, you know, they didn't work. And so the man had to provide their finances. But now, as we can see in the census results as well, uh, 
there's a lot of women working and in professional occupations as well. So they're a lot more financially independent. Um, and so maybe they feel more comfortable to be in like communal living with friends uh, or with family and, you know, they don't feel the need to to maybe go down the traditional routes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It could be more long distance, maybe uh, relationships yeah. as well. Uh, the internet's helped yeah. as well. Or maybe it could be the case where you're in a couple, but you both own a house, but you end up, you know, pretty much living together, but not technically, if you such. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, that's a whole rom com, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you say, I mean, you're saying you know, you know, you live with friends, uh-huh. you know. And when I was a, when I was a student and just after that, there was literally a TV show, and it was called Friends. Yes. <laughs> um, but I can assure you, the reality of it, you soon, at a certain stage, you don't want to live with. At a certain stage, you, yeah. you know, you well, don't like, want to live it that way. Yeah. Anymore. But I think that stage is getting later. Yeah, and people yeah. as well, like that are moving to cities for work, they'll house share with strangers like yeah. to be closer to their work. That's a big yeah. thing as well. Or it also could be you know, financial reasons. I mean, it's, yeah. it's expensive these days, so you yeah. need people uh, to chuck in with the rent. Yeah. Immigration, despite Brexit, this percentage continues to rise. And, you know, one of the major issues behind mm-hmm. Brexit, let's be honest, and it remains immigration. And immigration remains, it was a big story today, it's yeah. a big story yesterday, it'll be a big story this week. And mm. Clearly, for a lot of people, Brexit was about taking control of borders and certainly whether that was people coming from afar or people internal migration in, 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 in the European Union. Um, despite uh, worries over economies, this, that and the other, the percentage of our population born outside Northern Ireland, that has risen since 2011. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. I think even, as you say, despite Brexit and, you know, there's it's been in the news recently with the Home Office's new immigration plans, at the end of the day, our economy um, relies on immigration, whether it be hospitality or whether it be in the poultry industry, and it always will. Um, so I think that would trump anything. So regardless of how many you know protests outside hotels or immigrants there's going to be, at the end of the day, they're the lifeblood of not only our economy, but our, our healthcare system. Uh, Neve, 105,000 uh, people came to live here in the last decade and a further uh, 66,000 came to live here between 2001 and 2010. Um, again, you know, uh, s- some areas have very little uh, immigration. I know, for example, I live in South Down and mm-hmm. very, very few uh, migrants of any means. There are people who have married people from other countries. There are some people who come to work in the mushroom industry, etc. But other parts of Northern Ireland have been really changed by immigration mm-hmm. in the last 20 years. For example, areas of middle like Dungannon. Mm-hmm. That's where I'm from. Um, yeah, I think with Dungannon, there's, for example, there's quite a lot of industrial meat factories. So you've got Moy Park, you've got Dumbia Meats, um, you've got Granville Meats. And they're quite low-skilled, low-paid jobs. And I think a lot of people um, in in Eastern European countries, especially, uh, well, there's people from East Timor, the island of East Timor as well, they would sort of come over here and and work in those roles um, because it, it is just sort of, even though we would maybe see it as low-skilled and low-paid, it's better paid than what they're getting. And at the end of the day, their jobs that aren't filled by local people quite a lot. So as Andrew said, like we do need people coming over and filling those roles here. And I think what we saw as well with Brexit, um, the hospitality trade here has been hit quite hard. Like every time you go near a restaurant in Belfast, you see that they're they're hiring um, for kitchen staff or waiting staff. So I think it just depends on the type of industries that are in these areas. So like I said, Dingannon would be quite highly populated with those sort of um, 
uh, factories whereas maybe and Belfast obviously because it's a city as well it would bring in quite a lot of immigrants too for the hospitality trade but uh, yeah like more rural areas and farming areas maybe wouldn't wouldn't see as much like the likes of Fermanagh um, the likes of South Armagh places like that yeah, when you when you mentioned there as well about you know the, the large um, meat factories and whatnot, it was only I think it was maybe last year, the year before that, um, when Evan Pitts was uh, the agriculture agriculture minister, he actually uh, wrote to the Home Office asking, asking them to relax their immigration rules so we could get more um, migrant workers here. With regards to occupations and qualifications, you know, looking at this census. We do seem to be very what what is described as professionals. That's not my terminology. That's the terminology of the census. We do seem quite middle class, also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think there's a bit a bit of a pause from both of you. Come on, somebody <laughs> take a jump in. Very white collar. Um, yeah, one thing I thought was interesting. Um, in well, there's actually a lot more women in professional occupations than men. So for females, uh, around 97,000 women are in professional occupations. So that's anything from, you know, if they consider working in healthcare or teaching or engineering. Um, whereas with men, only 75,000 work in professional occupations, which is still really high. It's still the most the second most common group. Um, and then I find that after that, we go quite traditional in terms of the gender roles. So then the next most common group for women is uh, like the care and leisure and sort of other services occupational group. And there's about 75,000 females working in that. And then, so I think there'll be things like health and social care or working in care yeah. homes. Um, so, you know, typically women revert to, to sort of maternal care and roles. Whereas with men, uh, the most popular uh, group for them was skilled trades. So I think that's like your electricians and tiling uh, mechanics, things like that. And, 90, around 99,000 men work in that. So um, I do think, like you said, Kieran, we're quite, we're quite middle class and that a lot of people have office jobs now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I personally didn't think the gap between women and men and that like there's almost, there's more than 20,000 women more working in those professional white collar office roles than men. There's, I mean, we talk about skilled trades here and professional occupations. So um, the the next most popular after so-called professionals is skilled trades. And I take it that's, you know, plumbers, electricians. And mm. we have to point out, of course, uh, and it's pointed out to me quite often that uh, plumbers, electricians, joiners, etc. can earn an awful lot of money if they're, if they're, yeah. if they're very good at yeah. it. I and that would also include farming as well, which is obviously a huge industry in Ireland. And professional occupations is next at 75,000. Does yeah. anyone, what is professional occupations? Well, I, I would just imagine that would be just essentially office workers. Um, and even if, it, I'm not really surprised, I think that would number would have been on the increase in recent years and will continue to increase because you even have to just look across Belfast, the amount of office space that gets bought every year and the amount of new buildings that are going up. Foreign uh, direct investment like American companies. It's, it's absolutely huge, yeah. That's another podcast mm-hmm. because there are people, you know, who have a more negative view, I suppose, of foreign direct investment. But the fact of the matter is that it does change uh, an awful lot of our labour market and we see, you know, people coming in. Of course, it's the economy, yeah. And, and frankly, you see people coming in to do jobs that we don't want to do. And, you know, and I mean, when I say we, I mean people who were who were born here or who, and whose parents were born here. And that's, I mean, that's a fact of the matter. I mean, there's some of these jobs that I've described that I did when I was mm-hmm. a teenager and in my early 20s. And no one, you know, who in, in the same part of the world where I'm from works there now. It's totally it. changed. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
something I'm very interested in, in, in the sense is the two largest in, uh, industry sectors were human health and social work activities with 140,000 people working in that sector in the wholesale and retail trade. You know, human health and social work activities, we talk about so many cuts in the health service, et cetera. It's obviously, and all of the auxiliary and ancillary services, but it's obviously an absolutely huge yeah, of course. Economy. I mean, that, that covers everything from, you know, hospitals to care homes to assisted living facilities and whatnot. And you have to also um, recognise that there's an increasingly um, sex, popul- section of the population that's older um, and it's going to be in need of care. So that there, there's always going to be a need um, for that kind of work. So they'll always have a healthy base regardless of, of the cuts. I think a lot of people as well, like what you're saying, Andrew, they know that there's a high demand for that. And it's also, yeah. um, this is probably a separate podcast as well, Kieran, because I'm looking into this for an article. Um, a lot of people in the healthcare sector, especially nurses, end up uh, moving from here to places like Canada yeah. and Australia because their healthcare sectors are, I think, substantially better paid. Yeah. Um, and I think it was like three years ago in 2019, uh, just before COVID hit, Northern Ireland was the highest region in the UK for people in the healthcare sector moving away so I think it's one of those things as well people if you go into the healthcare sector you can do it anywhere in the world yeah exactly um, so and then you can go to, yeah and as you say you can go to Australia and Canada and get paid maybe you know at minimum twice what you get paid here and they're not as uh, under maybe as underfunded and understaffed that's it yep. <laughs> a different podcast yeah. again <laughs> somebody said are there journalists in Australia and Canada <laughs> <laughs> listen I we, we, we always do stories about the cost of living crisis the housing crisis homelessness poverty, and deprivation. And this to, this is not to take away from any of that, but certainly in, in when this census was done, the rates of unemployment were... Yeah. To, 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 they were low. They were low. I think I'm reporting that as a, as a fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, the, you know, the mo- this, this most recent census found that of the 1.5 million adults here, you had 16 or over, We've got a uh, 2.8% unemployed, so it does seem slightly low. It represents 42,000 people, um, as well, especially when you compare that to you know, if you look 30 years ago in Northern Ireland, um, or 40 years ago, you know, during the height of the troubles, the unemployment figure was was very high. Um, so yeah, it's uh, and just to, just to, I mean, 41% of the population are, are said they were economically inactive, that's but that's yeah. different. That includes retirees, people on long-term sick benefit, you know, people who are sick and disabled, etc., yeah. etc. Et uh, unemployed people in this sense means the people who could work. People, yeah, it means people, um, yeah, who are able to work, but for whatever reason do not have a job. But then we do have um, across the UK, we have a, you know a very high proportion of the people that are economically inactive. Um, that's for various reasons. Um, but yeah, the, in terms of the, the people that can work, um, it's, it's a pretty low figure. And that the number of people in employment ha- has risen quite dramatically really since 2011. And in addition to that, 70% of adults in employment in 2021 were working full time compared to just 36% in 2011. That's an incredible change. Yep. Yeah. I think I think as well. Um, like I know the population in the last ten years has grown by ninety thousand people, but I I personally find that very very stark. And for whatever reason, um, like we said, a lot more women maybe are going into work. There's a lot more opportunities maybe for wor- working class people. Um, personal opinion, maybe there's still not enough, but yeah. there, there's a lot more opportunities now for working class people to get help in terms of going to university and and getting better jobs, etc. So maybe they're going yeah. into work more. And perhaps as well to be a lot more, you know, kind of flexible working, people working part yeah. time and whatnot. So working from home. Exactly. So are yeah, they're not working full time hours or maybe they're working a couple of different part time jobs, which would amount to more than full time. 
And finally, uh, one of the things we pick up on in in uh, the census uh, are cultural issues. And uh, for the first time, we have measured in this census the frequency uh, of which people speak Irish or Ulster Scots. Now, uh, we the census reveals that 70,000 people speak Irish at least once a week or daily 43,557, uh, 13,000 of those people in Belfast. And... Ulster Scots, uh, 41,000 people speaking it once a week. Andrew, you know, in terms of politics, people will use those stats for and against and for their own arguments. Yeah, it's always been it's always been a tricky subject here. Um, in terms of, you know, the Irish Language Act, you know, like it, well, it played a role in the last time Stormont fell, not the most recent one out of several. Um, but yeah, it is interesting. It seems quite... It, well, it's hard to compare because I'm not sure if this question was asked in 2011. It, 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 it wasn't, wasn't at all. Yeah, exactly. So we don't have anything to really compare it to. Um, and you look at, um, in terms of the people that speak Irish daily, you've got th- uh, 43,557 and thirteen over 13,000 of those are in Belfast. So I guess that might go down to the number of Irish language schools possibly. And I know there's you get you can, several places offering Irish language classes and whatnot in Belfast. No, I do. I do think it's interesting. But one thing that I find interesting about this, whereas a lot of the census questions are obviously aimed at adults, this was aimed at the population age three and over. Um, and I don't know, maybe that's why we've seen an increase as well. But I do think with the like ability question, it's interesting because I mean, I would say I have some ability of Irish, and I mean that is I couldn't hold a conversation with you, but I could know like you know basic things like how to identify women in men's toilets. Um, mm-hmm. so I do think that question is interesting, but there's there's sort of like you were saying in terms of political uh, terms, there's lots of ways to interpret it. Um, but it is interesting that both Ulster Scots and Irish, in terms of people that say that they speak it at least once a week, that's that's increased. Since my, my question well, would be well, how someone age three can fill in a census form. Well, of course, you, <laughs> your parents fill out, fill out your form. I, I think, to be honest, this is the first time they've asked this question. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but they did ask in the last census, um, main language and the number of people who spoke Irish. If I'm working off my memory here, something over 4,200, and that's increased to 6,000. I'm not sure if there was uh, statistics on Ulster Scots in that part of the census. But we were always fascinated by the census. It's very important here. There are... It's, it is important, Andrew, that we we gather these statistics. Of course, because at the end of the day, this is based on pretty much, you know, our economy, um, budgets for, you know, healthcare and things like that there. So it, it's incredibly important. Yeah. I think as well, um, once you get into the questions like you were saying, Kieran, you nearly think, oh, there maybe should be a separate question on that to be asked in the next census. And exactly, yeah. Like I was saying, I was talking to, to Paul McGoughan from the Mixed Marriage Association and he was saying they've been going off sort of anecdotal information and they've been taking small surveys and what they find that they think approximately 20% of couples here are mixed like between Protestants and Catholics and he thinks that should be a question in the next census yeah. because that can in turn um, inform future decisions about for example integrated education because yeah, exactly, mixed couples yeah. really want their children yeah. to go to a mixed schools. Yeah so as society changes you know in the next uh, census uh, 10 years down the line there'll be a couple more questions. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> there's a podcast and, and that, and we may well be talking about this in 10 years' time, unless we're over in Canada and Australia. Demand <laughs> <laughs> <Did> more. <laughs> Andrew Madden, Neve Campbell, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. This episode of The Bell Tell was produced by myself, Kieran Dunbar. The sound design was by Graham Davidson.
Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike, preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law and & Crime bring you the new podcast, The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie, which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to the rise and fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.